in verses 12 to uh, verses 40. And as we do that, if you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Pastor Nate. I encourage you to just let us know that you're here. You can either fill out a visitor's, uh, visitor card, uh, the connection card that's at the uh, back with the offering plates, but also you can do that online as, as well. Um, and it's also name tag Sunday because this is the su- first Sunday that we're, we don't have to wear masks and some of us haven't seen each other. So um, that's what you look like? Oh, huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. God's word. John 18. <clears throat> After uh, Jesus, we just looked at this not too long ago. Jesus just prayed his chiefly uh, his high priest prayer, his priestly prayer of protection and unity for his disciples. And they face a serious threats to both, even immediately after Jesus finishes this prayer. And Jesus had taught out in the open in Jerusalem. But he was never arrested because, as John consistently says, his time had not come. And as we've been reminded of, his time has now come. It is now Jesus' time to fulfill what God has called him to do, his father has sent him to do. So Judas led the, led the enemies of Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane where they would arrest him at night without the crowds around. And today we will look at the events that are surrounding Jesus's arrest that eventually led to his suffering and the death for our salvation. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them. We're going to be reading from John chapter 18, starting in verse 12. The word of the Lord says this. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Ananias. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had uh, advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered, the, uh, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of these me- this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have, ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said this, these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? 
And Ananias then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of these disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man who, uh, who ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and judge him by your law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This is to fulfill the word that Jesus has spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In verse 33, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we come together to just continue to worship you. And Lord, it is so good to be able to worship together through song and through the reading and through the preaching of your word. And Lord, I pray that we would make much of you today. And Lord, I want to preach that you are glorified. And God, there's no possible way that I could do this on my own. So by your spirit, Lord, will you enable this to turn out well. Use this sermon, Lord, to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And Lord, we pray for other gospel-preaching churches that are gathering the same way we are. We think of West London Alliance, we think of redemption, Lord, and as they gather and, and sing, Lord, I pray that you would use them as they seek to be faithful disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And amen. In verses 12 to 14, we see right off the bat that Jesus is arrested. Verse 12, Jesus has been arrested and is now being taken to his trial. We would call this a kangaroo court almost. And can you feel the anticipation that is being built as their narrative continues on? They first bring him to Ananias, and we're introduced to him, and he's actually introduced as a high priest, which is interesting because, well, as you see, there's two high priests, but there can only be one high priest. So what is happening here? 
What has happened is that the Romans actually went in and disposed Ananias as a high priest. Because the high priest was usually a job for a lifetime. Had job security for life. But this position had been turned more and more into a political position than one who was someone who was supposed to represent God to his people. But this process of Jesus' trial was severely broken. And when we look at it at other historical documents and we see how uh, the culture at this time, the Jewish people took a look at, at, at their legal customs, we see a lot of irregular and violations. See, the actual thing is that the Sanhedrin, the, the group of religious leaders that were charged with, with guiding and leading the people, wasn't supposed to meet at night. What time is it? It's nighttime. The death penalty couldn't be declared on a day of a trial. There was false evidence given, which Deuteronomy clearly speaks about not doing. There's false witnesses that were used, and we see that in Matthew 26. And Jesus was exposed to blows and being hit from attendance during the trial. We see that not only in here, but also in Mark. In addition to all of this, it was illegal for the Sanhedrin to meet for a capital case on the eve of the Sabbath or the Feast of Days. So what does this all tell us? When Jesus is being condemned, it was a perversion of justice. There's a lot of wrong going on in these first few verses. There's a lot of irony, actually, in this account. But that's exactly what Jesus has come to do. This is the most amazing part of even these opening verses, that even though there is a perverted justice that's being displayed, Jesus came to enact God's perfect justice on himself. And as they come and they gather... And as he met with Ananias, by four, verse 14, they sent him to the actual high priest who is the son-in-law of Ananias, who actually we saw back in John 11, verse 50, as he advised the Sanhedrin that it is better for you that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. The events that will lead to the fulfillment of that prophecy while his disciples are spared. And as Jesus moves closer and closer to the cross, it is there he will die as John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What do you see here? See, when you and I, when we look at this, at what is happening to Jesus, we see how Jesus came to enact God's perfect justice, and he does it upon himself, using a crooked and perverted system to fulfill the will of God. And as we are constantly inundated with wickedness in our world, aren't we? I have to stop reading the news. As one pastor said, back in the 1800s, let us note how the great wicked men of this world, the Neros, the Bloody Marys, the Napoleons, are used by God as he saws and axe and hammers to do his work and carry out the building of his church. Though they are not themselves in the least aware of it. So think about this with me. 
They think they are enacting their plan to get rid of Jesus, but Jesus is using this to fulfill God's promises from back in Genesis 3 and mount the greatest rescue that the world has ever known, rescuing his people from death. And Caiaphas helps forward that one great sacrifice for the sins of the world. My God is sovereign over all things. There's not one ounce of anything that's going on in this world that he is not sovereign over. And he has to be, especially as we look at this. And if he is sovereign over all things, guess who I get to crawl up onto the lap and beat the chest of? And cry out with the wise. I may not get the answers, but I do know, looking at this, that God is working out all things for the good of those who love him. My God is sovereign over all things, and I may not know the whys, but I rest in my God's sovereign will, which is the pillow on which I lay my head, knowing that he will work out all of this mess for his glory and the church's good. If that is not true, the cross loses meaning. So here in these few verses, as Jesus interacts with these two high priests, Jesus faced an injustice. In injustice. He faced a trial that was false and perverted, and he does this to bring about God's perfect justice and grace for his people. As he faced that, he will also face the denial of one of his closest friends. In verses 15 to 18, and then later on 25 to 27, we see Peter's first, second, and third denial. It's like not once, not twice, but three times. And, Jesus, and John here doesn't mention the running away of the disciples that we can see in other accounts, but he, he talks about Peter who follows from a distance. And he can picture Peter's loving, anxious following as he follows behind to see what is happening to his master. But he's not bold enough to keep near to Jesus like a disciple. And after we are done in John, we're actually going to take some time to walk through the book of Acts. And when we see Peter playing the leading role amongst the Christians, in Acts 1, we see him making a speech about the selection of Matthias to take the place of Judas. In Acts 2, he preaches his first sermon, and God uses his first sermon to call 3,000 people to himself. That is not the same man we see right now. This is not the same Peter we see. Here we see Peter's first and second and third denial of Jesus. We need to remember that we all sin as we look at this. And we kind of go, how many of us kind of look at this and go, oh man, I can't believe you did that. Guess what? You do too. It may be hard to put yourself in the same level of Peter, but Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts, the most important person ever to live, was on trial, and Peter, one of his closest disciples, denied him three times when he was at his most lonely and vulnerable moment. And nowhere in the Bible do we actually see Peter denying what has happened. But here, Peter seems to have had his instinct of self-preservation override his commitment to Jesus and the truth. In his fear and confusion and shock at these unexpected developments, what does Peter do? He fails. This is the same Peter that said, I will die with you, Jesus. This is the same Peter that drew his sword and sliced off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. 
Yet here we find him cowardly. He denied his connection to Jesus. In verse 18, it says that Peter was with the household, standing and warming himself. Literally, it means that at, he was there amongst them, standing and warming himself. The tense is imperfect and is talking about a continuous act for a little while. He continuously stood there by this charcoal fire, warming his hands. The very people that had just finished dragging Jesus into this kangaroo court. The apostle stood among his master's enemies and warmed himself like one of them as if he had nothing to think about but his own comfort. And as he did that, Jesus was standing in a distant hall, cold and a prisoner. And all I can think of is Peter's miserable cowardice as he sought to look like he was part of the crowd trying to hide who he really was. And how can we not see that while he was warming his hands, he felt cold and, and wretched and comfortless in his soul? And we see the accounts of that in other Gospels where Peter weeps as the crow, as a crow crows after his third denial. And Jesus will soon... In verses 25 to 27, we see that Jesus will soon leave the high priest's house. And as that happens, John shifts back to Peter, who in verses 25 is standing with the enemy, again warming himself at the fire. And the question posed to him in verse 17 confronts him word for word in verse 25. And this time Peter denies his discipleship using the words, I am not. And Peter can assert that he is not a disciple of Jesus, but his insistence will not change the reality that he is still a disciple of Jesus. Reality confronts Peter in verse 26 when a relative of the servant where he just chopped the guy's ear off confronts him and says, didn't I see you there? Kind of hard to hide from that act. And when Peter denies this, the rooster that Jesus spoke of crows on cue. Why is Peter denying Jesus? For physical safety? To prolong his life? To maintain his freedom from incarceration? To protect his family? Why? If Peter could just see, if he could just understand what matters and what is valuable, it, he would know that it would be better for him to be in danger than for him to deny his Lord. That it would be better for him to be jailed, even killed. Better for his sons and their father to die a heroic martyr than to live as a coward. Better for his wife to be a widow of a noble man who kept the faith with, with the one who matters most than to have a husband alive because he denied Jesus. Better for his life to end in honor than to continue in shame. It's here we see so clearly how Peter failed to see clearly. And the moment was too much for him. And he denied Jesus. And so he lived with the rest of his life with the story being told over and over and over again. You ever have those stories? How many times do you interact with someone like, hey, you remember when you did... I got a few of those. I have a few, uh, more than a few. 
But over and over again, down to this day, long after his death, maybe Peter just didn't think it through. Maybe if he had, he would have done things differently. It had seen from his earlier certainty, even saying that he was ready to die for Jesus, that he, would, he, he didn't seem to have thought this one through. But in that moment, what mattered most was not what weighed most in his heart. So let me ask you, what matters most in your heart? Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in the heart will be filled with the fruits of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. And we come here and we think, Wow, Peter, how could you possibly do that? How could you possibly walk with Jesus for three years and still think, Hey, I'm going to try and hide all of this stuff. And I come to you humbly with a finger pointed at my own heart. And I pray that you do the same. How we do as others do and go with the crowd while they know inside they are wrong. Jesus was not only betrayed by his own disciple, but also in his hour of need, one of his closest disciples warmed himself by the fire and denied that he had any connection with Jesus. And Jesus even predicted this, but that didn't make its reality any less painful. This too was part of what, he, what Jesus would suffer for us. In verse 6, Jesus says, I am he. In this three denials, Peter says, I am not. It's a strong contradiction, a strong contrast. Here is what I think is humbling, though. Even as the rooster was crowing, Jesus was still loving Peter. And we see that in John 13, verse 1. For those who are in Christ, our sins do not separate us from the love of Jesus. Jesus separates us from the love of our sin and from sin's guilt and power. You know what's amazing even more about this, this account? And this is why it's important to have a bigger understanding of the Bible. Because imagine if you're just reading John and you get to this point and you've never read John before and now you're stuck on this chapter, this, these verses... And then, what, Peter? Have you ever been that person that kind of like read something in a, in a novel and you're like, what, it can't end like that? So you start flipping through the end to figure out if that's exactly what's going to happen? I would encourage you to do the same. Because Peter's denial is not his end. It's not his end. In John 21, verses 15 to 19, we see that Jesus three times restores Peter. And you can't out God's grace. If you are his, you are his. It's an amazing thing. You know, Peter, the same Peter that cowered to warm himself by the fire of his master's enemies is the same Peter that, according to church tradition, refused to be crucified the same way his Lord did. God just changes his heart. So in verses 19 and 24, we see that Jesus and Ananias have another, another conversation. Ananias is fishing for information as he, as he asks Jesus questions. And in verse 20, we see that Jesus won't have any of this. 
And Jesus reminds him that he's been very open this whole time. Nothing's been a secret. He's gone to the, sand, he's gone to the temple. He's preached on the street corner. Everything has been open for him. He has done nothing in secret. And what Jesus has said has been said to all. And even though Ananias is fishing, Jesus says, there's no fish in this pond. So he says in verse 21, Jesus even asked Ananias to go and verify his claims. He says, ask those who have heard me what I have said to them. They know what I said. You see the boldness and the dignity of our Lord's reply to Ananias in this verse? It's important to note. It's the complete opposite of Peter's replies. Here we see an example for all of Jesus' people, for all who claim to be a Christian, for an example to all Christians, of the courageous and unflinching tone which, is, which an innocent defendant may justly adopt before the bar of an unrighteous judge. I'm spending time in Proverbs. So in Proverbs 28, 1, it says this, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So it continues on in verse 22, and the reaction that Jesus gets is that an official comes and, and slaps him in the face. I can't imagine. you got to think about this for a sec. Think about God's grace to that man. The one who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke it into being. Hebrew says, by, through him all things were created. The one who created the very man who slapped him in the face didn't wipe him off the face of the planet. But he fulfilled scripture. As we see in Isaiah 53, as a lamb led to the slaughter. Quiet. Like Jesus could have. I, I think about that. I was thinking about it earlier, like, man, how dare he do that? But then I'm thinking, Jesus, why didn't you do anything? You see his grace being poured out even in that. And Jesus challenges the justice of the official's hit. And when he does that, he says that he has done nothing wrong and shouldn't have been hit. He is the Lamb of God, innocently going to the cross to make the sacrifice for the sins of his own people. And Jesus comes and he uses injustice to enact God's perfect justice. And here's the interesting thing. That the dignity, the dignity of the high priest comes at the dignity of Christ. The high priest holds a sacred office only because God is sacred. The sacred and holy God stands trial before those made sacred but what, by what he has given them. And they hold their own dignity more closer than Jesus. They don't even acknowledge who Jesus is. He has a, he has a plan. He has done many acts. We also have seen throughout John that he is the one who raises the dead, heals the sick, makes the blind see, the lame walk, and feeds 5,000 people and turns water into wine. The people in this room hate God and slap Jesus, the Son of God, into the face because of how they view their positions for, and needs for dignity. But the position is more precious to them than, what God, than God himself. Look, we read this, and like, if you're like me, you're in shock and wonder of how they treated Jesus Christ. But this is common. It's common today. 
Before we start holding our mouth with shock and horror, let me ask you this. Have you received good and holy gifts from God? This is when you say yes. You're here. You woke up this morning. You got clothes on your body. Have you received good and holy gifts from God? What has he given to you? Family, health, life, breath, a house, job, school, a mind, creativity? List all the gifts that God has given you. Now, how often do you and I exalt the pleasure and power, or money, or family, or health over God himself? How often do we refuse to worship God because we are intense on making idols out of his gifts? How often do we get into the trap of elevating the gifts above the giver of the gifts? How often have I warmed my hands in the fire of this world? And Ananias has tried to elicit incriminating evidence from Jesus, but has failed. His henchmen have treated Jesus as a criminal who disrespected, disrespects authority, and Jesus has rebuked him with moral authority. And his efforts, fruitless, his efforts are fruitless. His justice is challenged. And Ananias and Caiaphas can only bundle Jesus off to Pilate because they're so frustrated that anything that they try and get Jesus to admit to, he's not because he's innocent. So in verses 28 to 40, Jesus is brought to Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders don't have even the, they don't even have the rights to execute Jesus under Roman law, so they have to bring him here. And to accomplish this, they sought to convince Pilate, the Roman governor, that Jesus claimed to be king, which would make him guilty of sedition. So in verse 28, they, go, they get to the house this is hilarious, to be honest. Hilariously ironic. Is that a term? Let's go with it. Because here, they're breaking their own laws to give Jesus a trial, but they refuse to go into the house of Pilate because they don't want to get dirty for Passover. It's amazing. The rulers of Israel wouldn't go into Pilate's house because they didn't want to make themselves unclean, but were willing to do a lot of compromising to that commitment to holiness so they could get rid of the one whom the law points to, the one who fulfills the demands of the law for us, the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. He took the defilement of the cross so that we might have unhindered delight in our God. They miss the point of the Passover. And this all happens, as we see in verse 32, to fulfill the words that Jesus has spoken, that Jesus is, that his own execution would be true as he hung on the tree. In Galatians 3.13, we see Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on the tree. And Jesus will endure God's curse on behalf of his people to make them right before him for the sin they committed against a holy God. We deserve hell, and Jesus takes our punishments. But these words also show the divine control over the whole procedure, even though it was marked by amazing and flagrant injustice. 
So we see in 33 that the Jewish leaders present Jesus as a king seeking to cause a revolt, but he is a king of the Jews in a messianic sense, for his kingdom is not of this world. He comes for a purpose to call people to himself. As he says, his kingdom is not of this world, in verse 36. When Jesus says these words, he isn't saying that his kingdom has no implications for the earth and the world that we live in. His kingdom didn't come from the powers of this world, and it's not dependent upon the powers of this world. That is what he means. And he comes to bear witness to the truth, to declare truth. And Jesus is the only way to God. And he alone can provide access to God. And Jesus is the truth that fulfills the teachings of the Old Testament and shows who God is. And Jesus alone gives life and is able to give eternal life to all those who believe in him. So Pilate responds in this classic statement in verse 38. If anyone ever comes to me and says something is new, I always go back to the Bible. What is truth? It's a classic question, isn't it? Classic. Ever hear the sentence, you need to speak your truth? It's a pretty popular one. It comes in different forms. The concept is that absolute truth can't be known, but Jesus' words are sure and firm here. Truth can be known. He has said that he is truth And now he says that he comes to bear witness to the truth and that everyone who knows the truth listens to his voice. And here we see that truth doesn't matter to those who, like pilots, are motivated by expediency. This is also true for the skeptic who has despaired of knowing truth. But Jesus is truth. You can't know truth without Jesus. The outcome of listening to Jesus' voice is that there will be a greater longing for the truth and a belonging to the truth. And Pilate comes and he says, I find no guilt in him. And Pilate finds no crime that would enable him to charge him. And he's even reluctant to put Jesus to death. He says that a few times in chapter 19, And even in Matthew 27, Pilate's wife comes and says, hey, I had a dream that you should not do this to this man. In Roman culture, dreams were a very important thing. They listened to them. And Pilate still ignores it. And John 1 verse 11 becomes true. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He is innocent in every way, and as an innocent man, he goes to the cross to be a propitiation for his people. And so Pilate presents them with a custom. Pilate's another example of cowardness. But they would choose a robber over an innocent Jesus. In Luke 23, 25, we actually see him described as insurrectionist and a murderer, not a robber not just a robber. He was a violent terrorist whose crimes have shown that Barabbas is a greater threat to Roman civil order than Jesus, who belongs in a different category than Caesar's rule. But they want Barabbas. And you can hear them yelling and chanting, Barabbas! So what do we do with all this? 
Reflect with me on this one. Let's go back on what has happened in this passage. Jesus is arrested and brought to the high priest. It's there that Peter stood by the fire, warming himself. So let me ask you this. Are you prepared as a follower of Christ? Are you prepared to publicly identify as followers of Jesus in the presence of those who hate him? Because that will bring down their wrath. Are you prepared for the way that identifying with Jesus will make it so that we cannot stand in peace with his enemies or warm ourselves at their fire? As Jesus says in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 16, verse 24, if anyone comes after me, what does it say? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Are we prepared to take up our cross and follow him? As a church, are we prepared to do that? Are we willing to die in order to follow Jesus? To take up our cross is a call to dying to self. It is a call to absolute surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. After each time Jesus commanded cross-bearing, he said in Luke 9, 24-25, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or, loses or forfeits his life? Um, brothers and sisters, this is hard. This is hard and a tough call. But the reward is matchless. What is the reward? Is Jesus forever. And as we reflect on this, it seems as though Peter wasn't prepared for the moment of trial as he had thought he was. Are you prepared? Have you thought it through? Have you prayed to be delivered from evil? Prayed that the Lord would not lead us into temptation? Are you convinced that it is better to live in purity, forsaking the fleeting pleasures of sin, than to defile ourselves for sin's momentary pleasures and everlasting regrets? How often have I, have we, been taking so much pleasure in something that's so temporary over seeking Jesus Christ? Are you convinced that it is better to live in integrity, embracing the culture's scorn, than to deny the Bible's teaching and shatter the unity between what we know to be true and what we are willing to say in order to get along? Are you convinced that it's better to be a poor man who walks in the truth than to gain the world but make our souls schizophrenic through multiplied compromises? If we aren't, it's coming. It's becoming increasingly more difficult to be a disciple of Jesus in our world. But that's okay. I can't take our hope away. So, are your eyes fixed on him? I, I like how one songwriter says it. When my heart is weary, when my soul is weak, when it seems I can't traverse the trials before me, I survey the glory of your agony, 
and I find the will to fight for what's before me. Because you ran the race, enduring for your glory. I fix my eyes on you, the founder and the finisher of our faith. I fix my eyes on you. The solace in your suffering is my strength. As we reflect upon this passage, I want you to also think about the power of the gospel. Because the power of the gospel enables Peter to move past his denials of Jesus. And after Jesus restores Peter, that same man that denies Jesus preaches with boldness at the beginning of Acts and eventually is killed for proclaiming that gospel. Do you know the the power of the gospel? Peter has the worst failure probably, I would imagine, it could be debated, recorded in the Bible. I don't know if you want to be the guy known as the denier of Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. And doing that when Jesus predicted and specifically told you that you would do it. Now, if your worst failures were recorded in the Bible and rehearsed every time the world's most important story was revisited, would our experience of God's grace in Christ enable us to stand, allowing the story to go forth, sharing the account with everyone we could? This is the grace Peter knew. This is what kept him alive after his failure, that grace can save the worst of cowards. If Peter can retell this story and we know that he did, then we can be appropriately vulnerable concerning our own sin. Grace is powerful, as another songwriter said so well. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What Father so tenderly is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. He stood near a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, no ever mourn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Think of this with me, that when even even his boldest disciple denied him, Jesus stood fast. When those who claimed to care for purity defiled themselves in the dirtiest frame-up in the history of this world, Jesus was silent as a lamb led to the shears as Isaiah 53, 7 says, When Roman justice and concern for truth were, was, coward, was crowded out by the shameful compromise to keep the peace, Jesus maintained his integrity, he harbored no bitterness, and completed the most important project the Father gave him to accomplish. Look, friends may fail us. Religious people may show themselves to be selfish and impure. I am one of them. The justice system may prove itself to be corrupt, but Jesus will never let us down. As one commentator said, David Wells, he said, the last defense against evil held. Let's pray.